Hi guys, it's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, and whatever else I feel like talking about from week to week. This week's episode is so exciting for me because I'm discussing one of my favorite topics, which is sex. And it has taken me a long time to be able to publicly say that I like to discuss sex within a safe space and where I consent to do so. I just want to be clear. Um, Because I felt a lot of shame for that for a long time. And that's something that we are going to get into in today's episode featuring Tatiana King, who studies um, social work and, you know, sexual relationships, um, singled and partnered people. Um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation because I'm currently working on an article that I've been pitching to outlets for over a year. I haven't been able to get it picked up. I'm thinking I probably will just put it on my own platform. But in case you are new to this space, the truncated version of where I am personally in my romantic and sex life is that I am quite single and I have gotten to a place um, in therapy and in my personal healing journey, which is not linear at all, where I do want to date and I want to trust myself to make better choices than I've made in the past and to also show myself compassion when other people don't make great choices with me. Um, It's a whole thing. But in making the decision that I want to start dating after years of it just not really going very well for me, I kind of came to a crossroads where I was like, okay, what exactly happens on the spectrum of dating between one night stands and committed partnership? Like, are you as a responsible adult who's in therapy, who is healed and healing and working on themselves and knows what their values are and all of those things? How do you navigate having Sex. How do you navigate having sex that's responsible and not just from the physical perspective? Like we know, we pretty much know how to protect ourselves physically, but what does that look like from an emotional perspective? And I have several interviews lined up with a couple of people. Um, but what I came to realize is that there's a lot of shame tied up in my feelings about this. There's you know, the shame of, oh, did you have sex with that person too soon? And is that why they're acting that way? Which is bullshit. Um, but Tatiana and I have a lot, we, we kind of, you can't cover this whole topic in, you know, one single podcast, but I think that we did open up the door and start to unravel some of the more nuanced discussions around what it means to be a self-aware, emotionally mature person Um, navigating sex, not only from a responsible place, but from a place of it being like pleasurable. Like, I don't think a lot of us men, women, non-binary, however, really know what it means to advocate for our own pleasure. And so Tatiana and I discussed that a bit. I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode. I do feel compelled, um to do two things. Number one, your fashion tip this week, because I have to do it. I want y'all to start ironing y'all clothes. Even if you don't want to bring out an old school ironing board, 
and iron, at least get a steamer. I just don't understand why y'all are comfortable walking around in clothes and it looks like you slept in them. Sweetie, uh, my goodness, it don't take no time to just run a little steamer on and knock them little wrinkles out. Baby, you can throw it in the dryer. You could really hit that thing with some Febreze just to dampen it and throw the garment in the dryer on, on cool air, on tumble. Just knock them little wrinkles out. It's okay. I, I can't live like this with y'all. Now, iron your damn clothes. Steam them. Do it super quick in the dryer. However, knock them wrinkles out, okay? Number two, I don't want to speak on this, but I feel like I have to. I didn't watch the Oscars. I was out at dinner, once again, spending somebody's money, could not have possibly been my own, having a kiki with my good friend. I get in the car, headed back to Brooklyn, and my phone is blowing up because Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, how much have I had to drink? Like, how long have I been in this restaurant? What, did years pass? What the hell is going on? Let me say this. I don't want this to be a think piece. I don't want this to be all of that. Sometimes people get slapped and sometimes people deserve to get slapped. And that just is what it is. And we should all be able to move on. Now, I do understand that there are these different intersections of like protecting black women, protecting our virtue, protecting us and what it means for us to be able to navigate beauty and um, the way that we present ourselves to the world and their you know, it's very layered. Chris Rock did a whole documentary about black hair and made a joke about a black woman's hair when she has an illness and this is something she's struggling with. All of these things are true. There's a lot that you could unpack here, but I am a firm believer. I know that this is kind of problematic, but I am a firm believer that if more people got popped in the mouth when they were younger, and I don't mean by their parents, I mean by their peers, then a lot more people wouldn't be insufferable adults in the way that they are because they would know that there are some things that you cannot say to people that you would get away with. I think that sometimes people need to learn personal boundaries in a physical way. That does not mean that I'm advocating for violence, but like Chris Rock said, I understand, but I wouldn't do it. No more. That last part is mine. I understand why people are outraged, not outraged. I understand. I was shocked because I was like, he really walked up on that stage and like slapped this man. That was very surreal for me. And then like yelled at him after I felt embarrassed for Chris Rock, but I also felt hugely embarrassed for Jada because she is under so much scrutiny all the time about the way she navigates her marriage, not necessarily will, but her. And I have seen on social media, black men say some really unkind things about her. And I want to believe that maybe Will was just fed up with his wife being the butt of so many jokes. And what I also find interesting is that some of the same people who are defending Will are also people who defend Dave Chappelle and some of the jokes that he makes. So I just want people to sit with what it means that it was that it was just jokes when it was Dave Chappelle, but it wasn't just jokes when it was Chris Rock. And I'm not saying that one is more right than the other. I just want people to kind of sit with that. Like I always say, don't answer me right now. Write it in your journal. Just something to think about. 
he got slapped. Everything's fine. Nobody died. We don't need to make a federal case out of it. If you want to personally evaluate what your feelings are about it, like as a woman, if it made you, feel, especially as a black woman, if it made you feel really good to see that black woman be defended in that way, sit with that. Why is that something that we're craving? You know, obviously we don't want for men to have to resort to violence to defend our honor because this isn't Game of Thrones. But there is something to seeing the actual, the physical action of a black woman being protected by her husband. There is something to that. Again, this is a very layered conversation. I don't want to think piece it to death. It happened. Let's all just move on. Like, as my former co-host Nikki said, I want this conversation to be done by end of business today. I do not want to drag this out. That's all I have to say on the situation. Sometimes people get slapped and sometimes people need to be slapped. Did nobody die? Let's all move on. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Stay tuned. Anyway, besides all that, so Tatiana, we met back in 2020 when people were taking the pandemic seriously for those five minutes that they were doing it. And um, <laughs> we connected via Blex, which is um, this Black sex platform, Black sex positive platform. And they did um, a, a Twitter discussion. It was like us. It was like a couple of other women. It was really fun. I wish we could do it in real life. Like, I hope they run that back, actually. And so, know, right? um, yeah, so... I um, have been thinking about sex a lot, like a lot of people. And I think I think about sex more than the average person, actually. Um, but as someone who's in therapy and who tries to be very intentional about um, everything, really, I started having this idea about where, where do people go in that space between one night stands and committed relationships, like from a sexual perspective. So I'm happy that I remembered that I could reach out to you because this is what you study. So with that being said, please tell my audience who you are and what you do and why. I'm Tatiana King, and I'm first and foremost a graduate student at Widener University studying human sexuality and social work, specifically the sex therapy track there. And I'm also a sex blogger and I don't have my own blog necessarily, but I blog for different publications like Buzzfeed and most recently Cosmo, other publications I've been featured in like Mashable and HuffPost. And I'm also a sex educator for the Center for Positive Sexuality based in Burbank, California. But my work is more remote through there because I'm from the East Coast, but yeah. I'm dying to know how you found your way to this career path. Like how and when did you know this was something you wanted to study? Like walk me through that. It all started when I was really, really young, like maybe in first and second grade, <laughs> because my parents, they were very honest with me about any kind of topic. Like they taught me about everything from religion to death, sex, relationships, they didn't hide anything from me because their philosophy on life is better that my daughters find out from us than go out in the world or go on the internet and see a bunch of misinformation and get their information from someone else. So when they taught me about puberty and sex, I thought it was really fascinating. And I've always been fascinated with the human body and human connections. 
And once they taught me about these mature topics, I would talk about it with my peers on the on, during recess on the playground. And I'd ask them if their parents taught them where babies came from, if they know what vaginas look like, if they know what a penis is. And what surprised me is that a lot of them didn't know any of this information. And I understand we were very young at the time. So of course they probably didn't know. But for me, it was weird because I'm like, I just assumed that everyone knew about this stuff and that everyone's parents were open with them. So when they told me no, I said, oh, well, this is how it goes. This is what it is. Yeah. And then my friends told their parents, then their parents told my teachers, then my teachers called my parents and said, hey, you got to tell your daughter to stop talking about this. This is a very mature subject and a very sensitive subject. So, you know, tell her to kind of keep it on the hush hush about these topics. So then ever since then, I kind of internalized that and stopped talking about sex because I just I knew that there was so much shame and stigma associated with it that I practically became prude. I'm like, I would be telling people don't have sex until you're married. And, you know, sex is a sin before that. And we shouldn't really talk about that because it's shameful. But it's then so interesting how these like very formative moments or experiences like kind of stamp us for so long in our lives and especially sex and shame are just so closely intertwined and that I'm, I'm happy you were able to like overcome that to get to where you are now but I'm sorry I cut you off go ahead oh no you're good I was about to say then just something in me switched and I said you know what I shouldn't be ashamed of things that I'm passionate about and just because it just so happens to be about sex and relationships it doesn't make it bad just because it's a more mature and nuanced subject. So after that switch came off, I was like, you know what, I want to teach people about sex and I want to be open to talking about it with my peers without any kind of stigma. Oh my gosh. That's one of the things that um, I was, I was telling someone a while ago, I interviewed one of the, the ladies from Blex and I was just like, I feel like if I had learned more about because I had similar upbringing like my parents didn't really I was not a precious child I'll put it like that like I watched whatever I wanted to I listened to whatever I want to like nobody was really like um monitoring or just like should she be it was like that's ah, fine you know whatever but the more nuanced conversations about sex and the the things about like when it comes to like female pleasure and what that's actually supposed to feel like. I didn't have friends that I felt comfortable enough really discussing that with like my closer friends from youth who I'm still pretty close with today. They were just so much more introverted and so much more reserved than I was. But I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to ask anybody. So even when it comes to something like masturbation, I thought it was like a joke. I was like, people don't do that in real life. That's like a joke on a sitcom, like whatever. And I didn't do that for the first time until very late in life. And it was like, is this what sex was supposed to feel like the whole time? What have I been doing? Like, it was like, what have they been doing? And it's like, I was telling a friend that the way you start dating when you're young, it's like, girl, Rashad, I think you cute. And it's like, and girl, I think he cute too. And it's like, okay, now y'all go together. And people right. date like that for the rest of their lives. It's just like, is there an attraction? We'll figure the rest out later. Let's see how this goes. And it goes terribly. <laughs> it's like a train wreck. But when the sex part of it comes in, 
I don't know about you, but I just always thought that like, oh, boys know, like they just know what to do because they're supposed to be more like the, I don't know, like the sex gods or something like they get to talk about it and they get to interact with it more than we do. So it's so goofy now to be 34 and to be like, why was I thinking that any man knew more about my body than I did? What was that? Like that socialization. But I couldn't have those conversations with anybody until I got older. And now I'm so happy that I have friends where I'm like, okay, I found this porn performer. I really like him. Should I invest in the OnlyFans? Like, you know. <laughs> and so I think um, having people with whom you can discuss things and like that safe space, like really kind of like, helps to diminish some of the shame about it. But I do want to know, um, as a Black woman from the South and like Black people, we tend to be so socially conservative, especially below the Mason-Dixon. Do you feel like an added pressure or responsibility to be a Black woman in this space? I definitely feel like there's added pressure because for starters, it's a very tight and close-knit field. I mean, it's not I think it's it's kind of competitive because there aren't too many people in it and it's just now starting to get more mainstream. But even when you look at people in this field, there aren't too many people who look like us and actually have experiences that we go through. And the thing about sex is it's not just about the mechanics. It intersects into different aspects of our lives, especially race. I mean, the way a black woman experiences sex and relationships and goes through her sexual awakening is going to be different than her white counterparts for various reasons. I mean, it could be down to sexual objectification. It could be adultification where younger black kids, we get looked at differently because of the way our bodies develop faster. There are just so many different layers that people, even unfortunately in this space, they don't talk about probably most likely because they just don't live through that experience. So they don't really feel compelled to go there. Yeah. I think that's, I think that especially as of late diversity inclusion is kind of getting overused and it's like, no, there's a reason why you need these different people from these different, different backgrounds and different experiences, because even from a scientific perspective, you don't know what you don't know. And that experience of like adultification of Black girls is so unique. And it's something that I find so painful, Um, especially like I always, before I knew that I was a feminist, I knew that there was something that always bothered me about the way that girls were treated. And it really came to a head during like the R. Kelly documentary and the way that people were talking mm-hmm. about those girls, that they, they were girls, those were children, but because they were black, they didn't really get that same, the same victimhood that white girls, you know, might've gotten. And I just, I found that so painful, but I think that especially when it comes to the study of like social sciences and research, you have to have people who live a different experience so you can drill down more into like, well, what is this like for these different people? You know, um, cause I didn't even, I don't think I really connected, you know, like what that adultification does in terms of like your shame and how you navigate the world. Um, I don't know if you're watching Bel Air, the reboot for Fresh Prince. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard of it. Pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised because I'm not a huge fan of reboots, but there is a storyline where um, the older daughter, Hillary, 
um, kind of makes like these like racy, like lingerie, thirst trap videos or whatever. And there's a conversation about like, well, black women don't get to do this. We don't get to do this without being judged in this specific way. So I'm really happy that there, that you're there and that there are more people who look like us. I know one of your articles, you mentioned um, the character from Se Sex Education, which is like one of my top five, like favorite TV shows. And I, I found myself wondering, like, could that woman have been black? Mm -hmm. like on that show like would people have received a black character like a black sex therapist or whatever especially because I don't know if you noticed but in tv and film these days all the black all of the therapists are black women but those are actually really hard to find in real life and it's like who yeah why is that <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out like it's like a an evolution I think of like maybe the mammy trope or like the the magical mm -hmm. negro trope or something but everybody's therapist on these shows are black women and I'm like I would love to see us in more of like that space because there is like a different level of um relatability but given that you do you know talk to people about this and you do research the entirety of this experience of human sexuality when someone um comes to you whether they're shameless from adultification or abuse or trauma or whatever like how do you advise them to first start navigating their own sexual identity within like knowing that they have all this, like this bucket of shame that they're carrying? Like, where does that even start? At first, I would suggest people really get in touch with their own feelings about their body themselves without any outside voices, without any pressure coming from influences in the media just look at the mirror, look in the mirror, whether you're naked or clothed and really just compliment yourself and point out specific things that you like. Instead of just going with, oh, you know, I'm a strong black woman, like really look at yourself and be specific about the compliments. Like you could say, I really love the kinks and coils of my natural hair, or I really enjoy the way my skin glistens in the light. Like really be specific about what you love about yourself and just rid any kind of shame that you've heard. Don't think of the body as something that, something that, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> don't, don't think of the body as something that needs to be put away or covered or don't think of certain body parts as bad words or just get rid of any negative associations that you have with your body or with sex or anything like that. I love that. Um, like self-intimacy first. Mm -hmm. So I'm also, so <laughs> very randomly, I need to find this online somewhere, but I'm scared of what's going to come up when I search for it. So there was, I think, a Vice article years ago where there was, <laughs> I need to grow up. This is so, <laughs> I don't know what it makes me laugh because it's such a niche thing that I'm like, people like to do what? So there was this um, article about these people who their specific kink is like, they like the idea of being implanted with alien eggs. And so, Interesting. yeah. <laughs> okay, so that is very specific. Very specific. Okay, so I'm going somewhere with this, so hear me out. So what they do, they have these like hollowed out dildos and they have these different size eggs or orbs that are made from this, like, you know, whatever, that it'll just melt in your body. It's not harmful, but that's their kink. That's what they get off on. It's like this idea that they have been like implanted with like an alien 
egg. And I was like, this is fascinating, but I mean, and they like this company, when they started selling these things, like they sold out really fast. And like, there's a, an, an audience of people that like, this is what they're into. And what I have been wondering since I read that article, like years ago, is like, how the hell do you discover that that's what you're into? So when it comes to like, that's such a specific kink and that there are a lot of other people that have it when it comes to kink desire what you're into how does one even go about like exploring like to land there you know what I mean (laughs) to even know like oh I very specifically enjoy and it's like well how do we arrive there like for people who want to explore sexuality more like how do they even begin to navigate like what their thing might be one thing that I suggest is increasing your knowledge and the information that you get because sometimes it's hard to figure out what you want if you actually if you don't even really put yourself in the environment to learn so for example I learned a lot about my kinks by going to different porn slash kink slash bdsm slash sex conferences and I would just talk to everyone I met whether it be about their research or about their kinks, or about what kind of porn they watched. And just by talking to other people and receiving their research or information or life experiences that they would tell me, that was how I learned about what I might or might not be interested in. And sometimes I would go to sex dungeons and not even necessarily have sex, but literally just to go be a voyeur and watch and observe at what was going on. And I didn't even know that I would be interested in fire play until I actually saw someone use fire to put it pretty close to someone's skin. And that person really enjoyed the sensations of the different temperature. And I had no idea and wouldn't have known had I not become brave enough to actually go and put myself in these experiences just to watch or to talk to other people and listen about whatever different experiences that they found pleasurable. So that's probably my single-handed best advice to put yourself out there. It could either be at a sex conference. It could be at a dungeon. It could be at, it doesn't even have to be, be going anywhere. You could be listening to sex podcasts and every time they have a different guest, listen to what they're talking about. If it's related to the things that they desire and their pleasure. So that would be my single-handed best advice put yourself in the position to gain knowledge about different aspects of desire and pleasure. Yeah. Just like the, with anything else, it's exposure. You know, you don't know, Mm -hmm. you don't know until you expose yourself to these different kinds of um, experiences. I really love the idea of going to a sex dungeon just to be like, what y'all doing? (laughs) What's happening in here? Um, So the main part of the the article that I'm writing is um, my audience knows a little bit um, about my struggle with dating. The truncated version is that hasn't gone great for me. Um, I've had a lot of um, relationship, like emotional PTSD, a lot of um, narcissistic abuse and things like that. And so I had like one really traumatizing, well, a couple, but there was one really traumatizing relationship that just completely like broke me down. Um, And I was like, okay, I don't want to date 
anyone. I want to figure out like what this pattern is. I want to just like take a step back and all of these things. And so I intentionally was not even open to dating for a really long time. And I got to a place in therapy and with myself where I was like, I want to date. I want to be open to the possibility that hashtag not all men. Um, And I started thinking about like the role that sex played in those previous relationships. And, you know, as a 34 year old woman, like I feel like women in our thirties, like our sex drive is like next level. Like I have heard that. Oh my God. Especially if you're ovulating, it's just like someone come change this, this chair cushion. Like, it's like, you were just (laughs) like up for it. You know what I mean? But, um, you can have sex with a number of people. Right. But it's like who you want to have sex with sex with like the availability. But anyway, what I started trying to figure out is like, okay, sex played not a great role in those previous relationships. How do I want to navigate sex moving forward as I'm looking for partnership? And so there has to be something on the spectrum between one night stands with random strangers and committed, you know, sex in a relationship. So my very big question in your studied opinion is there a way to have safe, casual sex, like safe from an emotional and mental perspective? Because there's all this talk about like these different hormones that are released when women have sex and you feel attached to the man, even when you don't mean to and like post-coital clarity. And it's like, so should we just not like, and I'm still struggling to figure out like what it for, for me and for women who are like me, who we feel like we're involuntarily celibate because we're just like, ooh, I don't know. Um, is that a thing? Like, it, is there a way to have safe emotional sex? I believe there is a way to have safe emotional sex that can be on the casual spectrum. Um, however, I do think it comes with a lot of self-awareness and management of expectations. Mm. Sometimes the problem I notice just being a sex blogger, people will tell me about their dilemmas. And one of the main dilemmas I hear about is they'll go into a casual situation and they're not completely honest about what they want in the future or what they want to get out of it. Sometimes one partner will say, I just want sex and that's it. I don't necessarily want a relationship or anything romantic. And the other person just agrees, but they're not completely being honest with themselves or honest with their partner about what they might want to get out of it. And then sometimes people, they'll go into it and they'll say, oh, I definitely don't want anything too romantic out of it either. I just want to have fun. But then their mind can change. So I want people to have completely open and honest communication from the jump and not only talk about what they want currently, but what could happen in the future. Like ask them, okay, what happens if I do eventually want something romantic? What, how would you feel? How do you think you'll feel about that? What would that look like? Would that be a complete turnoff? Would that be a no? Discuss your boundaries ahead of time so you can be more proactive and approach a problem before it even becomes a problem? I think, of course, that communication is key in so many things. And I think that when it comes to conversations about sex, boundaries are so important to discuss. But I think that people don't know of like a sexy way to discuss that. Like, is it taking, is it, I think even when we talk about consent, people make it seem like 
it's like this contract that you're going to have to sit down and sign and say, I consent to these three things, but I don't consent to this. We can do this, but we cannot do anal until six months in. And then I have to, you know what I mean? They feel like it has to be this very mechanical thing. Do you have like methods of, of, I don't know, communication that people can try that like makes this more approachable and not just such like a sterile conversation about like, check off on these three boxes, what you would be comfortable with me doing to your asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Part of what I advise is that people take real world situations and discuss it with their partner so that it kind of takes both of you out of the equation and you can get their ultimate honest opinion. Because sometimes when you're asking people about something related to your relationship with them, they might hold back a little bit because of what, because of your potential response might be. So if you get a real world situation, let's say it's y'all all of a sudden watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or some kind of reality show on Netflix where a situation could pertain to y'all, ask your partner about that situation. So then they're not holding back because they're thinking, okay, I'm just talking about them right now. You know, I'm not really talking about us. And then you can get their honest reaction from there. That's a really good idea. I never thought to do that before. It's like, hey, I watched this <laughs> episode and I saw that they did. What do you think about that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just kind of like make it a little bit more, um, I guess, objective is, you know, the word I'm looking for there. Yeah, I really like that idea. I like I think um, something that I'm encountering right now is that I always thought I was really great at communicating, but then once again, like shame comes in and I was like, oh, I'm not really great at communicating about things that I have shame surrounding. And I am still working through not feeling responsible for um, some of the emotional abuse that I've experienced from men. And again, like narcissistic abuse, it's like, you feel like you, we do kind of co-create things, but it's like, I was taking on the responsibility of it. And so talking to someone about the kind of relationship that I want to have currently and moving forward, I still harbor so much shame around that, but you're not really going to get to those vulnerable conversations if you're holding on to the shame instead of like reaching for the freedom that's on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, I just don't think that people understand there. I, I do think there are people in the world and correct me if I'm wrong, who can have sex with no emotional attachment or not feel anything about it but I do think that there is a huge like emotions do have a huge impact on your experience with sex right oh yeah they do and I I don't necessarily think that those emotions have to be as strong as people make it I mean there there's this concept in the church called soul ties and yes that's what people will use that <laughs> that phrase to please talk about out. it Please talk about it. Yes. And I'm like, I don't necessarily think that your soul is going to be connected to someone forever. But I mean, there is a regular attachment that you spend when you're intimate with someone. And let's take sex out of the equation. Let's say you and I, we start hanging out, going to the movies, going to brunch and develop our relationship as friends. Then, you know, naturally, we're going to develop an attachment to each other as friends. I mean, it's not always about sex or romance you have a connection with your family when you bond with them. You have a connection with your offspring when you give birth. So it's like, you know, I don't necessarily think that attachment associated with sex and relationships has to be this deep and 
dreadful and soul bonding forever kind of thing. It's just natural when people bond with each other in any kind of way. Yeah, I, I literally was having a conversation with someone the other day about, and they mentioned a soul tie and I was like, hun, babe, <laughs> here's what. Um, you had sex with someone, you had a relationship with them. You thought it was going to go somewhere that it didn't go. What you're experiencing is heartbreak. What you're experiencing mm-hmm. is grief over what could have been or what was. What's not happening here is that your soul on a celestial level, like I almost think that people say that because they kind of want to be attached to that person still, like on some level. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a way to like explain what is just ultimately like love and disappointment. You you felt emotional, loving, whatever, like for a person and you were disappointed. That's it. Like, I, I don't think that sex and, and emotions, like, the, it's not nothing. But let's keep it in perspective. Like, I hate <laughs> the concept of a soul tie where it's like, and I went to my pastor and I'm like, girl, do you know how much patriarchy is in church? Then people don't want you to have sex at all. <laughs> like, Especially if you're a woman. Oh, my God. And there's so much um, of like um, in the in the, the the male sphere of podcast and, and all this hotepery where it's, you know, the feminine body, it, it receives and it's a different thing to like receive something into your body than to put. It's like you think it's less intimate for me to take something in my body than for you to put something into it. It's the same thing. What exactly. are you talking about? <laughs> this it's is all it's all still intimacy. Like there's still intimacy there. And it's like, maybe you don't want it to be, then you need to sit with why you don't want to be intimate with women, even though you want to have sex with them. Like that's something for you to work (laughs) on. But what do you mean? Um, Even like, I think this, this concept of like men having sex while almost still fully clothed to like, yeah, that's um, (laughs) another conversation. It's like you're trying to lessen the intimacy, dude. You're in someone's body. You are in. (laughs) What are you talking about? You may as well just be naked. What's happening here? Um, But again, I do. I also think that I'm reading a book right now um, by Bell Hooks that is kicking my ass. It's not long at all, but oh my god, Um, just all these things about like men and the way that they have been socialized to not love and to not feel. And I think that men have a lot of shame around sex as well that we don't mm-hmm. talk about or, or hear about as much, you know? Um, do you encounter like a lot of like male trauma around sex as well? Is it like pretty even or? I do. I, I would say regarding trauma, I typically hear more from women, but what surprised me is that a lot more men carry around shame regarding sex and relationships than I even thought. Like at first I was thinking, okay, I'm just speaking to the women around age, I don't know, 20 to 35. No, a lot of these men, even older men will reach out to me and tell me about their experiences and how they just wish they could open up. They wish they could get out of their head and really explore these relationships and be more intimate. But because of how society has socialized men to act, they just, they don't feel like they can reach out without being made fun of They don't feel like they can go for specific desires because they'll be called gay or they'll be emasculated. And that's probably the number one shock to me being a sex blogger, how many men have reached out and 
it kind of breaks my heart actually that so many men feel like they just have to practically be quiet about it. They're like, oh, you know, I, I really want to share something, but, you know, please don't tell anyone. And I wouldn't tell anyone anyway, because that's unethical to be telling everyone other people's business anyway. But it's just so much shame even surrounding them asking me about my opinions on their experiences or getting help. Even just that first step of asking help, there's so much shame around when it comes to men asking for help in their sex lives. That's why this book is kicking my ass. Because I I came to the conclusion that per my own experiences, I don't like men and I'm afraid of men. And that's a a conversation that I had to have with myself because I kept feeling like, why are these interactions that I'm having with dudes like so odd? Like, I feel like they are immediately hostile and whatever, whatever. And I was like, okay, it's not reasonable for you to desire partnership with a man but to also not really like men in general, like how you think that's going to work, girl. So um, my friend recommended that the Bell Hooks book, it's uh, called The Will to Change. And it was just like, I needed to humanize men again, and I needed to be able to empathize with them. And to, to what you're saying, that's what that book is, where it's just like, oh my God, they have just been like systematically, systemically made to feel that they can't feel and that if they do feel it's just like put it away you're not a man mm-hmm. you know and I still think that the onus is on men to heal that part of themselves or um you know oh, to for sure that. yeah to do that work. go to therapy please <laughs> please call the lady call the lady on Monday like you told your girlfriend you was gonna do go call the lady you know like but it I wish that men could facilitate safer spaces for each other, but it does kind of help me to know, like, not as an excuse, but as an explanation, like, oh, this is what's been kind of like taking place in some, you know, experiences that I've had, like this person couldn't communicate with me because they don't communicate at all. And it kind of helps to make me stop feeling so responsible (laughs) for other people's choices. Um, So in your work, are there things that you feel like are just like repetitive um, misconceptions that you wish more people knew where it's just like, oh, this shit again. Okay, listen, you know what I mean? Like if you could have like a, like a FAQ, like on your site of like the top things that people get completely wrong, like what are the things that you wish people knew just like off rip? Off rip, number one, I wish people would know that when you find the right partner, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to know everything about you, going to know how to treat you, how to please you. You do have to, to some extent, teach people how to please you. It's not just going to happen like that once, you know, you get into bed and you're in a relationship or you're married. It takes time, like sexual compatibility to some degree. Some people are going to have it a little bit more than others. But once you get into the bedroom, it's not like magic. You do have to tell people where on your vulva you like to be touched. If you like certain stimulation over others, if you like to prefer, or if you prefer edging, you know, kind of going to the brink of almost orgasming and then kind of stopping, slowing down and then going back into that heightened place. Nothing happens like magic. It's not just a one size fits all. There is a certain amount of communication, even with the right person. Another thing, this whole conversation about does size matter, 
Definitely one of the biggest ones. And I think that's a misconception as well, because bigger doesn't always mean better. Smaller doesn't no, always it not doesn't. <laughs> it really depends on the person. Granted, there are some size queens and they're like, hey, you know, I do prefer a bigger dick go inside me. And there are some women who prefer smaller dicks. But if you're going to ask women that question, I think the majority would say it matters more so about the motion and how you use it rather than the actual size and girth. Many probably just prefer an average size, not too big to where it hurts, maybe not too small to where you can't feel anything, but still that whole does size matter question, please just eliminate it. Sure, it matters, but definitely not as much as people would like to think. Well, again, that's just patriarchy. It's just like, this is what makes you a man and this is what makes you more of a man. And this is what really makes you a man is uh, impressing other men with the size of your dick. And it's like, do you see how that's weird? See how that exactly. <laughs> to a different place, yet you're incredibly homophobic. Anyway, um, I have been thinking a lot too about the way that like we shame men for dick size. Like the whole thing with like the Nelly um, sex tape leaking or whatever. Oh yeah. Like, I felt so bad for him. I didn't watch it because I feel like it, I don't watch any, I don't look at nudes. I don't watch anything that a person didn't consent to putting out. And I know that a bunch of other people watch it, but I just personally, like if this person didn't say, I am doing, I want, you know what I mean? I don't feel right looking mm-hmm. at it. So I didn't see it, but I do feel like the way we talk about men's physical appearance is really messed up these days. And again, I don't like to give men too much, but <laughs> if we as women, particularly as black women, we were under so much scrutiny for, for beauty and for, you know, wearing makeup, not wearing makeup, getting BBLs, not blah, 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 blah. I think that we're kind of overlooking the way that we talk about men's bodies. Like we make fun of short men. We make fun of men who don't, you know, who don't have big dicks and all of these things like that. And I wish that we could be a little bit more considerate in the way that we navigate conversations with men, like with people, period. Like everyone is carrying a lot. And I feel so awful, like for those guys, you know, Um, but I I will say that I had um, an experience with, it haunts me to this day with a man who had a very underwhelming size and I was so willing yeah like I was really really willing to like work through it with him because on the surface I thought that he was a great guy and it's like should this be a deal breaker and it was like oh he actually isn't a good guy and I wonder if this is why he's not a good guy like is it just like you're carrying a lot of insecurity because I fully get that you know what I mean but it was it's incredible for me in my thirties to look back on that and to think about like the lengths to which I was willing to go to like make him feel better about it, that he wasn't doing to make me feel better. Like I was literally like Googling articles, like how to enjoy sex with a smaller penis. Like, yeah, it was a lot. And, but he was never Googling, like, how can I please this woman, even though I'm not that, you know, well endowed and like, I was asking my guy friends, like, how would you want a woman to tell you? Like, what did they say? I'm curious about their answers. Ah, it was like, <laughs> cause it was, it was not just the size. It was also the erection wasn't 
Oh, very okay. strong. And so for me, I was like, is this like a health concern? Because like, I felt like that person would like, he didn't really take care of himself very much. Like he wasn't very active. He didn't like eat great. I mean, he was a smaller person, but again, that's why like fat phobia is such a thing because just because someone's not overweight doesn't mean they're not. But so I was asking my guy friends, it's like, how can I tell him this without hurting his feelings? Because I don't, I know that that's a really sensitive thing for guys. And one of my guy friends was like, just try to use more like I statements than you, like try to like make it more of a you thing, like kind of be like, is there something more that I could do to really get you there to really like, you know, make sure that you are like harder? Like, is there That's you know, good advice? Yeah. And um, I tried that and it was like, I don't think that he was very in touch with his own body. And in my mind, I was just wondering, like, has no woman ever told you? And so the, the conversation then began like, do men know where they measure up in terms of... I don't think so. I think their reality is very distorted because women with the whole faking orgasms thing and just not being as open because we want to protect men's ego. Yeah. I don't think men know at all. So, okay. So two, two parts to that, because on the one hand, yeah, of course, like we don't do ourselves or the other women of the world any favors by acting like things are greater than they are like we have to find ways to be like I don't like that this could be better in these ways but the other thing is that my guy friends were like you know like if you have (laughs) ever done sports if you have ever done it's not that you're like in the locker room like gawking like going around like measuring up but you know where you kind of you know you kind of I would hope I would hope they get us (laughs) because I sure like think about boob size and I mean, butt size, <laughs> like some things you kind of just know where you fall. Right. And so um, it was, I think that if he had been a better person and a better partner, uh, let me say this, if he had been a better person for me and a better partner for me, it is something that I probably would have been willing to like work through or like work on with him. But there were so many other, you know, issues that I was just like, Chasha just went for the bigger dick anyway. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but see, I like that you are self-aware in that aspect because some people don't even really question about what their deal breakers are or what they can try to work past. I mean, some, not a lot of people really know this because they just, like you said, when you're younger, you date once you find someone who's attractive and then you figure everything else out later. But I really want to encourage people to really figure out their values and relationship, whether it's physical or general values, whether it's emotional, whether it's about religion, just certain deal breakers or certain things that you know you absolutely need in a partner relationship or certain things that, you know what, I would prefer this. However, I'm willing to work through it and see where it goes in that aspect. Yeah. And to your point, that's why um, emotional maturity is like at the very top of like my list in terms of like considering partnership, because Me too. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, we have to be able to have these more intimate, more nuanced conversations. And I want to be able to talk to you without you feeling personally attacked. I want you to be able to talk to me, and I want to be able to hold space for you without feeling like, you know, 
you don't like xyz about me and it's like an indictment on my whole existence and now i just feel like well i'm not even here you know like we all have to we all have to be um emotionally mature and aware and i think that's the beginning of everything for me because to me like even um like at 34 it's not like i'm old but i am starting to think about like how do i really feel about you know having kids and i recently have been in a space where i'm like it's partnership over parenthood for me. So if I met a guy who was a really good person and checked all these, you know, boxes, but he was like, I don't really want to have kids. I feel like I can be okay with that. Not, not only okay with it, but it's just like, I would rather have you than this experience of parenthood that neither of us have either experienced before. Like, how can I say that that's something that I'd like truly deeply want. I'm not that woman. There are some women who just at their core, they're like, come hella hot water. I'm going to become a mom. I'm not that person. Like I'm very I'm much, here. I'm not that person. Either. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, like Tatiana, I'm really like legit. Like how are women still excited about motherhood? It doesn't look fun. Everybody mm-hmm. looks tired everybody's hair is undone. Everybody is like, I feel disconnected from my body and I'm trying to figure out how to get, I constantly feel like I'm failing this child. I have so many friends who became moms during the pandemic and I'm constantly like, bitch, you kept yourself and a baby alive for a whole day. And kudos to you, shoot. Just even that one day during the pandemic. I'm constantly telling them like the idea that you have to come up with several meals and snacks per day for someone other than you, you are keeping a little human fed. I forget to eat all the time, bitch. Okay. <laughs> if I'm busy, I will be like, bitch, it is three o'clock. I ain't nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially with me being in grad school, I'm like, in those long classes, like sometimes food is not on my mind as much as literally just showing up to class exactly and so you know i'm like what what is the what's the draw how are all these women being convinced to like push their bodies to the brink you know and i like because i'm not one of those women i don't i don't know where that comes from it has to be like a very like innate in your spirit kind of thing of like you just really want that experience but for me I think that I can be okay if I don't have it but that's also me like to your point learning like what are my personal values and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are like oh I think that maybe you just want to be with a guy who acts like you and I'm like no we don't have to like I'm a Leo I can go pretty like yeah I think I need someone with more of a grounding energy because um, <laughs> yeah um I think that there has to be an alignment of values right like they don't have to like for sure match up boom 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 but they need to be complementary and I think if we had more of a focus of that from an emotional and personal perspective then that leaves room for the sexual compatibility to be built upon right oh for sure and I like how you said that even if the values aren't completely matched a hundred percent, at least it's good if they somewhat intertwine, because one thing that I'm noticing about relationships, especially in modern day age, is that the idea of love and marriage has changed because back then it was pretty much more of a 
business arrangement and there wasn't people didn't really marry for love and friendship they kind of married for finances and the benefits that come with it now they do marry for the benefits but they also want someone to be their best friend they want somebody to be their personal freak in the bedroom they want someone to be their therapist financial advisor everything like they want one person to fulfill all of their needs and i personally think that's kind of unrealistic so you got to choose what core values that you place on a partner and in a relationship some therapists and psychologists say narrow it down to three I'm a little picky so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with five for me personally (laughs) but just be aware that not one person is going to be able to fill every single thing that you want some things you're gonna have to work toward but hopefully those things will somewhat align, even if they're not 100%, at least they'll somewhat match. I was literally having this conversation with some friends not too long ago, because there was a podcast episode about this where they were talking about, I forget the name of the show, but they were talking about the um, the evolution of marriage and like as it stands today and where it left off, it's like, it's not reasonable for that person to be your end all be all. That to me is a is an antiquated and also kind of like rooted in some of the negative aspects of Christianity of like that that per that you're not complete until you have that other person and like that's it and like mm-hmm. even the way that we treat single women who aren't partnered it's this belief that they're single women are kind of infantilized like we're not real adults or something because we're not you know like partnered and I find that frustrating on a number of levels, but I think it also lends itself to y'all can't be each other's end all be all for absolutely everything. Like that's why community is important. You have to have a sense of community Mm -hmm. to spread out your emotional, mental, you know, whatever needs. And so even for like my married friends, I was telling them that you know, I'm the only one of like my core group of friends who isn't married, who isn't partnered, whatever. Actually, I think everybody's married now, almost. And um, it's not that like, oh, I'm not going to get to have a wedding or it's like always bridesmaid, never, but it's not that. It's that I have to kind of accept that I'm no longer going to be as much of a priority in your life because you now have this person and the expectation, I'm not saying it's a wrong expectation, but the expectation is that your husband, wife, you know, speaking heteronormatively, of course, I don't know any experience mm-hmm. out of that, that that person is everything and nothing can come, you know, before that person. And so I think that's a huge part of why singlehood is really hard as well, because it's like, well, who am I a priority for if everyone in your you know, core group is married do you get to feel important to anyone? But I have had um, the relationships that really, really matter to me. I do feel like I'm still a part of like their family. And I do feel that I'm still someone that there is space for me there. But I think that that belief that the husband and wife, that like, that's it. And like, you don't mean nobody else, bitch, my man, my man, my man. And it's like, you have other needs though. And like, that's okay. You got to spread those out. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just wish we kind of prioritized community more, a little a little bit more, like in the in the realm of things. Cause it's like when you look at religion, isn't it about, you know, the greater good and like spreading out resources and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. So that's why it's always so shocking to me when I hear, especially black Christians who have this belief that like, I don't know if you saw the article where the um 
there was like a gospel singer who was saying like she won't let her female friends spend the night at her house because her husband oh, I did I did read about that yeah <laughs> it's strange and I was like do you think your husband's a sexual predator or do you think <laughs> right. a predator? you believe one of these people to be a sexual predator if you feel that you need to intercede in this way but it's like I'm not super well versed on theology but like wasn't Jesus always going to people's house like can I crash here you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. that- Jesus was everywhere. Yeah, he was, <laughs> was everywhere. Right. He was out here with the with the prostitutes. He was out here with the tax collectors. Like Jesus was out here in these streets. Like let's spread out these resources. But you don't want to let your homegirl stay at your house because you think your husband is low key a sexual predator. Just ridiculous. Which I just, I don't know, I find frustrating because I think that we create like gaps in our society and like we create vulnerable communities when we don't have space for people with different experiences. But anyway, I could talk to you forever. I plan to, but (laughs) I do (laughs) want to wrap this up. So let my audience know like um, where they can read more of your work. Like, is there a centralized location, how they can get in contact with you, all of the things. Yes. On social media, you can find me at Tati underscore K underscore King. That's T-A-T-Y underscore K underscore K-I-N-G on Instagram and Twitter. And on through the link on there, you'll see my work through BuzzFeed or Cosmo, depending on whatever links I'll have up there on that day. But my website will be coming soon. Yeah. Prefer- probably by the end of this spring. So Keep an eye on that. But for now, you can find me on social media at Tati underscore K underscore King. And before I let you go, like, what's like, I know this is a big question. It's okay if you don't know the answer to it, because maybe you shouldn't, who knows. Um, What are you ultimately hoping to do, like, with, you know, once you're done with your degree and, like, you get out into the world? It's like, are, are we looking out for books? Are we looking out for tours, speaking engagements? Like, what's your ultimate, like, goal with your studies? Yeah, once... Well, actually, next year um, in May, that's when I'll be graduating and getting my degrees in human sexuality and social work. And my ultimate goal is to, first of all, get supervision so I can get licensed as a therapist or, well, social worker is technically the title that I will be licensed under, but ultimately to become a therapist, build my own private practice and help singles and couples with their sexual satisfaction issues. That's like my ultimate goal right there. But until then, you might see a book in the works. You might see me in different speaking engagements all over the world and just going to different sex conferences. So yeah, just stay tuned because there will be a lot coming before I reach my ultimate goal. Yeah, like now I really want to go to a sex conference. Like I like send me the info for the next one. Like let's go together because like now I'm curious. No, for real. There's gonna be a one um one in Brooklyn at the end of the year. I think September. It's called um Sex Expo. So we should go to that one. No, we have to go. Like legit. Like keep in touch. Look, what did they say on Twitter? Watch this space. <laughs> like <laughs> we will follow up. I like now. I'm like really interested. I want to know like what else I can learn about this, especially like as I'm working on you know putting aside my own shame about these things, you know? Um, So let's plan for that. I'm very excited. So thank you again for taking the time. Hopefully we get to talk again soon. Um, I'm going to be sure to put all Tatiana's info in the episode description. So don't like crash your car trying to write anything down. And thank you. And I just look forward to talking to you again soon. No, no problem.